Welcome to the West Side Audio Message Podcast. We hope you enjoy today's message. And if you're looking for more ways to connect with West Side Assembly of God, feel free to check us out at www.westsideag.org. You'll find all the information about our service times, upcoming events, and opportunities for you to plug in and get connected with West Side Assembly of God. Additionally, you'll find a complete online archive of all of the previous and current messages absolutely free of charge. We hope you are encouraged by this week's message, and thanks again for downloading the West Side Audio Message Podcast. And in the fifth chapter, in the 21st verse, he kind of gives some, uh, through the first couple of verses in the sixth chapter, and we'll cover that as well, he gives some instruction for various members of the family and what their duty is. Every person who is a member of the family has to carry their part or the family's not healthy. The man has to do his part in whatever roles he has to play as husband and possibly as father. The same way with the the, the woman. She has certain things she has to do. Do it right, do it successfully. And the children have something they have to do. And so I hope with this sermon today I can share with you some of these things that that coming from the great old theologian master, Paul, straight from him, he says, hey, if you people do this, you can have a happy family. Now, is anybody against having a happy family today? I think you're with me. Go for it, Pastor. We all want a happy family. When there's a breakdown in one of these participating members, that's when we begin to hurt. Verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Now that's troubling for people who read the Bible, especially today, as they they struggle with, with thinking that, Paul is promoting some sort of a, uh, uh, a relationship where you have one dominant personality, this, this man that is chief, king, big kahuna, and this passive little woman whose whole purpose in life is just to make sure that he's happy no matter what he wants. And nothing could be further from the truth, but it's cast in a very poor light by the way that, that Paul states this. Because he begins out, I take you back to the 21st verse, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And sometimes we get into that next section without remembering that he's talking about two people who learn the art of submitting one to another. And then he covers part of what it means for the wife to submit to the husband. He didn't go into a lot of what it means for the husband to submit to the wife, but it's already implied that that is a necessary part of a good marriage. Negotiation. Being able to give and not expecting at all the times to win every debate, every argument, every issue. Not one person declaring 
by God's design, it's my way or the highway. We can't do that. Two people have to find a way to live together in harmony. And he set Christ and the church and their example up. Has anybody ever seen Christ treating the church like some of these brutes think that they have to treat their wife? You never have because he loved the church. Then he goes to the husbands and says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And once again, he's referring back to the example of Christ and the church. To make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. And in the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. And we're members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Hopefully. If you fail in that, we've got a problem. You do, in a physical sense, become one flesh because the intimacy that is allowed through marriage is, according to God's design, the act of becoming one. Yet there's more to becoming one than just that because to be one physically doesn't complete the task. We have to become one in living together, coming together in agreement. How can two walk together except they agree? So the rest of marriage, aside from, aside from the physical part, is an effort, an ongoing effort in figuring out how do you take two personalities and make them one? That's the task of marriage. This is a profound mystery. Well, he didn't have to say that. We, we got that figured out already. But I'm talking about Christ and the church. Because beyond just talking about the marriage, Paul also is making a bigger point in this passage about Christ and the church. We're just not going to make Paul's bigger point today. We're going to go with his examples that he used. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself. And that's a directive to the husband. And the wife must respect her husband. And that's a passage of Scripture that I had mentioned in the book uh, just recently. Uh, Emerson Egrick's book, Love and Respect, that he, he takes his his premise for the book out of this passage where he says uh, husband your duty is to love your wife and wife your duty is to respect your husband uh, keying in on the two distinct things that is expected of men and women because loving is not exactly the same thing as respecting and men need respect and women need love now if you've got that figured out you're on the way to having a wonderful wonderful marriage and, and I don't want to spend too much on that, that bit about the love and respect. Many of you are probably acquainted with that. As a matter of fact, they just got, a, got through having a big love and respect uh, uh, meeting. Well, what am I looking for so, uh, with, with Emerson Egrich right here in the Quad Cities a couple weeks ago? Love and respect. And just to recap what I've mentioned to you before, uh, because some may be here that didn't hear it when I said it the first time, uh, 
A man needs respect because the example is used that a man who's in charge of a, a, a runs a big company doesn't care if his employees love him. But they had better respect him. Now that just kind of exemplifies what men expect. They want the wife to respect them. Because if they say, I love you, but don't respect them, the man still doesn't receive what he needs. I love you, but then go into a tongue lashing about everything is wrong with him. That doesn't get it. Now, on the other hand, the woman is not satisfied whatsoever if they, they become a very cozy, intimate moment. And the husband says, honey, I just want to let you know how much I respect you. That isn't what she wants to hear. She wants to hear, I love you. First of all, talk about the institution of the family. Uh, the, the two greatest institutions on the face of the earth, without any doubt, are the church and the family. And they're closely intertwined. And the health of one affects the health of the other. Both are God's institutions. Both are his creation. He, de he designed them. He defined them. And the family is supposed to serve as the primary institution of spiritual instruction, not the church. The church is an institution of spiritual instruction, without any doubt. But it's wrong for a family to think that it's not their job to spiritually nourish the family. That's why we go to church. No, that's like saying... The reason you send your kids to school is so that they can learn everything they need to learn about life. No, you've got a responsibility as parents primarily to teach your children. And you have a responsibility as parents primarily to instruct them in spiritual matters. Then the others are supports to you. The church is the body of Christ. The purpose of the church, just to kind of get that established and out of the way, is fivefold. The church is supposed to provide a place of worship, provide people with an opportunity to fellowship with people of like faith, and we do that, to equip the saints for evangelism, and we do that, to disciple new believers, Bible studies, Sunday school class, and to minister to the needy, reaching out to others. That's what the church is supposed to do. And all these people, these things in the church should produce people who understand how to successfully operate as a family. So that's where you see the church tying into the family. Men learn through the church, through the scripture, what it means to live like a godly man. You don't need instruction on how to live like a heathen. It comes naturally. But we need instruction in how to be a godly man. If you don't get that instruction and you don't heed that instruction, you will successfully be a slob, spiritually speaking. Men need to learn from the church what godly husbandhood is like. Mothers need to learn from the church what it means to be a godly woman. Children need to learn from the church what is God expects of them in the family 
and under authority. And those are two problems we're having today with children. Now, there's a deep-seated need in the heart and the soul of all humanity for family. We crave family. There are some unfortunate instances of people who have been left alone in this world. Perhaps they don't know who their mother or their father is. Or perhaps they did know and they've lost them. No brothers, no sisters, no aunts, no uncles. And they don't have a family. Yet the craving for family and the need for family is so strong, it's not unusual for people like that to go looking for a family. You ever notice that? It's not unusual for somebody to find an older lady and say, this is my adopted mom. You know why? Because they crave family relationship. And, and even, even more than that, people often look for a church where it feels like what? Family. Nobody wants to go to a church and say, it feels like a big corporation. I just love it there. They like that family feeling because the need for family, the desire for family is so deeply embedded for us. We seek out these uh, substitute family relationships. You find a best friend and say, we're just like sisters. Because you can't pay any higher compliment than to draw them into your circle of being a family. I love this man. He's like a brother to me. We really respect and honor the concept of family. We like that family connection. And, and the, the concept of family is, is so important, even in a church that you ever walked to a church, to a church it wasn't family, it was a war zone. We fight. We sometimes find churches that fight so much there is no real family connection there. But so important is this concept of family. God reveals himself to us using the family tie metaphor. He said, I'll be to you a father. And you can be to me as children, sons, and daughters. So he's using that because he knows that appeals to us. Oh, family. So that's how strong and how deep and how important this runs in our life. So like, like the church that is God's brainchild, so is the family God's brainchild. He, he created it. It's been fundamental to the happy and healthy existence of humankind since the very beginning. Family. Adam spent a very short time alone here on earth. And I believe it was all purposeful and systematic that God allowed Adam a short time to be alone so he could demonstrate to Adam what it's like to be alone and how superior and far better it is not to be alone. And so he could demonstrate through that story also to the rest of us as God created for Adam Eve. And said, it's not good for man to be alone. Now you understand this narrative of the creation that Adam was not alone in one sense. 
but he found no fulfilling fellowship with the animal kingdom. Yet whenever he had, he was naming the animals, he was caring for the trees, trees and bears and tigers just don't get it. Something's missing. And God said, You are alone, and it's not good. I can now that you understand what aloneness really means. I can create that being which fulfills you. Now, this is establishing without any doubt whatsoever God's design for the family. God could have chosen whatever he wanted to set the family. And whenever he had man, he said, the only thing missing in your life is woman. Man... And woman is God's design. Any departure, deviation from that does not fulfill what God has designed for us. It's a substitute. It's an inferior substitute. It will never add up to God's purpose for our life. So, if, you know, even evolution doesn't really uh, appropriately account for family. Now, you, you just think back through the, the simplistic uh, uh, Overview of evolution. They start off with a couple of simple, with a simple cell that is somehow mysteriously, unexplainably created by chemical interaction and life, the spark of life is formed according to the theory of evolution. And then somehow that cell divides. Now you got two. And uh, they lived happily ever after, I guess. I don't know. It, they, didn't, they didn't need family. As a matter of fact, as they progressed from being a cell into, into higher uh, forms of life, uh, eventually, if, if you believe in evolution, eventually, somewhere along the line, they begin to have a community need. But, but is evolution really responsible for, for family? If it only developed over the period of millions of years to eventually discover that uh, organisms, uh, that uh, creatures somehow can do better in community. Whereas in, in the biblical account uh, of the creation, family was from the very beginning. Only that short time for Adam to sense and discover what it means not to have family and then to be provided with the family. That's the only time. And it took a very short time. It didn't take billions of years to figure this out. God provided what Adam needed. Now, the second thing I speak to you about the family is the structure of the family. And it begins with man and woman. Uh, two men are friends and two women are friends. Only a man and woman who marry are true foundation of the family. And then if and when the children are added, they become part of the family unit as well. And each member of the family unit then has the godly responsibility to fulfill their duties for the family to function fully as God intended it to function. Now, if you're sitting here today with a dysfunctional family, then I hope I can say something to you to help you to get your family to functioning like God wants it to function. Maybe it's time to have a family powwow. Maybe it's time to sit down and say, we are miserable. And we cannot accept that this is God's design for our life. What can we do 
so we can be a happy, healthy, functioning family that glorifies God. That's what we want to be. That's what God wants us to be. That was the whole purpose in having family. The husband, the wife, the children, all the responsibilities, everybody working together, making the family a successful, godly unit. Uh, Throughout the 20th century, they have used the term nuclear family. And I know our brain goes to the word nuclear ever since they split the atom and harnessed the power and created the uh, atomic and nuclear weaponry. Then we think nuclear family must have to do with just being a family in this modern day and age of nuclear power, which it, it, it has nothing to do with that. That's not the way the term is used at all. Nuclear coming from nucleus, and it was coined in order to describe what the, the typical, the prototype family is. It's a family that has a nucleus. That nucleus is a mom and a dad. And from that, if it expands into children, that is a nuclear, having to do with nucleus, polarizing around that important set that establishes the family. That is the nuclear family. Even to this day, the nuclear family is still defined in the same way, except we all know that there are efforts now, even before the Supreme Court, to redefine family. How arrogant... Can man, lowly man, be to think that they can appoint judges in a Supreme Court who have the power to overrule God? Now, they may not, but how arrogant for anybody to think that they might be able to do that. It's God's institution. It's His design. Nobody has authority to overrule what God has already established. The role of the family members. Now we get down to something a little more personal. It's a shame the children are missing today. They would benefit from this as well. But husband and wife roles. Uh, The role of the husband. The biblical model of the family is the husband is the head and the wife is the helper. I said people choke on this. I said they don't understand what this really means. That's why they struggle with it. They make false assumptions. This model is so grossly misunderstood by so many people, Christians and non-Christians alike. And some Christian men abuse this verse, thinking themselves to be self-important. Thinking that they just spit out orders and everybody else carries them out. And of course, non-Christians make the same assumptions perhaps because they see people who call themselves Christians who behave like that whenever they read this in the Bible. But as far as God is concerned, I want to suggest to you something. I I don't know if you've ever heard this before or not, but I want to suggest to you when the Bible says the man is the head and the wife is the helper, it's not as much about authority as it is responsibility. That is the health of your family, God holds the man more responsible than anybody else in that family for the health of that family. Now, there may be things that are ultimately out of his control, and I understand that. But God will nevertheless look at the man and say, did you do everything you possibly could? 
I'm holding you responsible as the head. I will come to you and find out, did you do everything you could to make sure this family is healthy? Because if you didn't, mister, you're going to answer to God. He said, well, I can't change my wife's mind. Maybe you can't, but did you do everything in your power to minister to your family, to be the godly man, to be the example? If you did not, you will stand charged before God as guilty and a failure. That's what being the head is about. Responsibility. Got to hold the man accountable more than anybody else. Mister, if your family's struggling, you cannot blame your wife. You can't blame your children. You can only blame yourself for not having done everything you possibly can. Only then are you without blame. Don't wimp out on me, man. You have the responsibility to do everything you can to pull it together. Because when Paul wrote this to the Ephesian church, he didn't cut us a lot of slack. Whenever he said, husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Anything less than 100% sacrifice on the part of men. This comes straight from the words of Paul. Anything less than 100% sacrifice is inadequate in your responsibilities of pulling this family together because Christ didn't partly give himself for the church. He sacrificed himself. Right sacrifice and put it on your sleeve, put it on your forehead, put it on everything because that is your ministry, Mr is sacrifice. So all of a sudden, being the head doesn't sound so glamorous anymore, does it? The role of the wife, support. And once again, this makes people bristle. Like, like they think the woman has no other purpose in life than to dote on her husband. And that isn't at all what the Bible is implying. We see examples of women in the Bible who were mightily used of God and the husbands nowhere to be found. They have plenty of purpose from God. However, there is something about this principle of being a helper that is very important to grasp today. Wife, if you want to know the secret to your man's heart, you can probably forget everything else that you've been taught in this world. The way to a man's heart is through his stomach. Sounds good, doesn't it? But there's a better way. The way to a man's heart is for you to become voluptuously sexual and sensual and attractive to him. There's a better way. First of all, I will suggest to you that a man wants a feminine wife. I, I speak in behalf of all decent men. I want a woman to bring a dimension to my life that I don't have. I want a woman that I touch. She's soft and feminine. I don't want her to be calloused over like my hands can get. I want that. That means something to me. I don't want a woman that can wrestle alligators. That's meaningless to me. I don't want a woman who can prove she can spit as far as a man. I don't care. I want 
a woman. If she cooks well, that's wonderful. I like that. But she doesn't have to. And I like a woman who's organized. Because we men are not always well organized. Now, I'm not indicting all men. But how many of you men are so thankful that your wife sees to it that the house stays in pretty good shape? Aren't you glad for that? It helps. You would be a blessing to her if you didn't lay that burden on her all the time. But I'm telling you, I'm just telling the way it is, not the way it ought to be. But there's one thing that ranks above everything else. Now, ladies, do I have your attention? But it's so rarely talked about. And that is when the man feels inadequate. When he feels like a failure. When he feels like he has made a devastating decision that is going to hurt his family. When it seems like he's done his best and his best efforts have failed. When the man feels like he's been kicked to the curb and just left. When the man feels like everybody else in the world has lost confidence in him. For him to know that he's got a wife that never condemns, that never berates, that is able to go over there and express to him, honey, you're going to be all right because I believe in you. He'll take that every day over a gourmet cook. I promise you. If you ladies have not, those of you who are married, have not learned this basic lesson that to be the support, here's the man, lady, be the support. If you have not learned that sometimes you're the only person left in this world that believes in your man, and if you don't believe in him, he's got nothing left here on earth. Just know that he needs to know that there's one person that's never going to flake out on him. And when it feels like he's blown it, she can still say, I love you, and I believe in you, and you're going to rise back up like you have time and time again, and you're going to take care of this family, and I trust you. But ladies, if you start wringing your hands and calling your husband a loser and say, well, you did it again, dummy. You're worthless. You get us in trouble. You are not contributing to the health of your family. And this is not a one-way street, because don't think for one minute the women don't get down too. And like I say, just because Paul mentions one side of this doesn't mean there aren't two sides to the coin. He's not ignoring the balance in this. And sometimes when that wife feels in the same condition, mister, as much as you enjoy somebody supporting you and, and, and just totally wholeheartedly believe in you, now turn it around and give it back to her when she needs it. Father and mother roles. Isn't it unfortunate that our first crack at being parents always comes without practice? Isn't it somewhat cruel we don't get any rehearsals for raising kids? We just, they, a living child is thrust in our arms. 
We didn't go to school for this. It's just, there it is. Don't blow it. That can be overwhelming. You ladies that have held that first baby and then went into deep depression because you suddenly realize the, the tremendous burden and responsibility that has been, and you can't back out. You can't put it back. It's there. It's your responsibility. And suddenly the world comes crashing down. What have we done? Get used to it. And it's after we have raised our children. When we now have our master's degree in parenting, the children are gone. I'm convinced grandparenting is God giving us a second chance to parent right. It's our do-over. We finally have the maturity and the experience and the wisdom for parenting that we lacked the first time around. We just don't have the energy anymore. It's the reason we send them home at night. And even though all parents are doing on-the-job training, they're doing their internship while they're actually doing their job, I don't know if there's anything I can think of that is more satisfying than to see those young people, just like my wife and and I were at one time, to see them rise to the occasion and put on their parenting pants and take responsibility. These same kids that one year ago I wouldn't have trusted them to watch my pet goldfish. And now they're going to raise a baby. Is there anything more rewarding to see them mature overnight? Where you had no confidence. Sometimes, you know, we as parents, we see a baby come along in a child's life and we think, what were you thinking? Your life is not together. You don't have a clue which way is. And you're going to raise a child. But all of a sudden, to see that metamorphosis, to see that transformation, to see a wake-up call in their life where they realize this is not fun and games anymore. This is serious business. This is a life that you hold in your hands. Their very existence, their very survival depends on you, my friend. And they rise to the occasion. And they become super mom and super dad. And those that couldn't find their way out of bed before, or nine o'clock in the morning are suddenly up all night long because they found the motive they found the discipline didn't they they found how important life really was and they rose to the occasion so I think man this is a miracle before our eyes and my hat goes off to every one of you who have gone through that young lady who never cleaned her bedroom when she was home, who never had any idea of how to cook beyond pierced plastic, heat in microwave for three minutes and surf, suddenly becomes homemaker of the year. Isn't that a wonderful transformation? Taking responsibility just warms your heart. But the tragic story is that those that don't get it. Young people whose bodies are mature enough to bear children and 
whose maturity level is still stuck at 12 or 13. And the stories appear regularly in the news of parents who abuse their children, burn them, starve them, beat them, force them to live in a dog cage, a dark closet, and it sickens every one of us to know that even as, as I'm preaching today, some child somewhere is being severely tortured by a mindless parent, to use the word loosely. It's nauseating even to think about what happens in this godless society. Then the roles of the children. You've got the roles of the husband, the roles of the wife, the roles as parents for each of those. Then you've got the roles of the children. In order to make this family really functional, if there are children, they have to know what the right thing to do is, and they have to be trained. It doesn't come naturally for them. They have to be taught what is right and wrong. And Paul, as we roll over to the sixth chapter, uh, Paul continues in this same subject matter and says, Now, children, obey your parents in the Lord. This is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so it may go well with you, and you may enjoy long life on the earth. And then to wrap this up, he says, Fathers, don't exasperate your children. Don't provoke them to wrath. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Now, I said everybody has their part. Every family member must carry out their part in order for their family to function, but the children cannot carry out their part. If you don't know your part, parents, and you don't know the children's part to teach them their part. So a lot is hinging on you. The child bears less responsibility, but they're still responsible. The last part of this passage, though, indicates that the father, and actually, by implication, both parents, have to provide the kind of atmosphere in the family that the children can honor them. And if the parents constantly provoke their children, they won't see honor returned. If you don't honor your children, the children don't learn how to honor anybody. If you berate your children, your ch children learn how to berate people. If you learn how to, if you just ridicule your children, your children learn how to ridicule people. And the great mystery of life is when the child does something that is so offensive and the parent says, where did you get that? Well, they got it from you. Mystery of all mysteries. Honoring the child teaches that child how to honor people. And the child learns at the earliest age. You can't let a three-year-old, this is parenting lessons, you can't let a three-year-old sass you and expect them to somehow learn later on they're supposed to honor you and respect you. The twig has already been bent. And even if a child has been taught respect from a young age, as they grow older, they're more strongly tempted to dump the honor and respect thing and become fiercely independent and rebellious. Have you noticed that? It's, it's almost heart-wrenching to talk about, but some of you perhaps here today have children that one time you were so close. So close with your son, so close with your daughter. And at this point, you're strangers, and something happened. And it just, it just tears your heart out, doesn't it? And you pray, and you think, God, if I could just have another moment 
where we are again father and son, father and daughter, mother and son, mother and daughter, whatever. Just draw that together. And that's the reason I said the children have a role to play. And everybody has to do the godly thing for there to be a healthy family. And if the children don't follow along in what God wants them to do, it hurts the family. That goes along with this whole thing about the body that Paul is talking about. We are a body. And he, in, another, in another letter, he talks about, you know what happens in the body? If you harm one part of the body, the whole body hurts. And that's the way it is in the family. If one is bringing harm into the family, the whole family hurts. And who really, really enjoys bringing that much pain into somebody else's life? So let me zoom in on this. When you do things, and, and you know, everybody here, you don't know if your mother's still living or your parents are still living, but you can think back on the time they were. If your parents are still alive, if you do things, even at this time in your life, you're out of the house, you're gone, you're on your own, but if you do things that disrespect your parents, disrespect your mother, and let's, uh, let me just zero in on, on mother on this one particular point. You cause pain in mom that is deeper than the pains of labor. We think nothing hurts like the labor of bringing a child into the world until you realize you have a child that has done things to totally disrespect you and then the pain just doesn't go away, does it? And you would gladly give birth Again, to get the pain over with and be gone. But to have this constant pain, this ache in your heart. And the most marvelous thing, the most miraculous, amazing thing is the ability of mom to put on the happy face. When she's broken on the inside, like words cannot describe. And for the young child who has disrespect and dishonored their family you will never know that pain until you yourself become the recipient of the same thing and then you will say why in the world did I ever do such a thing I'm giving you fair warning I think there's time now to breach the gap I think there's time now to repair that which is broken. I think there's time now to lay the weapons down and come together and say, you know, I've done some dumb things, but I just want to say I love you more than anything in the world. I think you can begin to build that family back to what God wants it to be. And these parents who gave themselves sacrificially And the mother who sacrificed sleep and spent long nights doctoring sicknesses and gave herself tirelessly and depriving herself of sleep. And the husband oftentimes doing many of the same things, sharing that, slaving and laboring so their children could have clothes that were really out of their budget. And then for them to feel the disrespect like you don't really appreciate anything that was done for you. I urge you, heal the brokenness. The Bible says, honor your father and your mother. You know, that's not that hard. Quit living like it's all about you and it's all about your needs and learn 
how to honor. The smartest thing we can do today, all of us are children of somebody. The, the simplest thing we can do is just concentrate on swallowing pride, stifling urges, drop the tough kid attitude, and do what God expects us to do. Honor your parents. No matter what kind of sacrifices you have to make, honor your parents. I can promise you, you don't regret doing that. That doesn't lead to a life of regret. It's the rebellion. It's the pain that you regret. So for the children, don't be the weak link in the family. Don't be responsible for tearing the family. Help to bring the family together. Do your part. The Bible says that your life might be long and your joy complete. So I know we don't have little children here today. I believe that they are being trained well in children's church. But we have people here today that maybe there's some brokenness in your family. And I think there's enough here today in this sermon that we can take something home and say, for those of us who have failed, say, God, can I have another chance? Can I do my part to try and heal the brokenness? Whether you're the father, the mother, or just the child, that, that you need to go back and heal things with your parents one thing that I have seen in my life as a pastor that is the, the most heart-wrenching things to see is whenever I perform a funeral, elderly father or mother's passed away, and the children somewhere during the course of visiting with them, counseling with them, doing the funeral, whatever, then they will begin to express their regrets after they're already gone. I wish I would have done this. I wish I would have said this. I wish I would have spent more time. I wish I could have said how much I loved you. I wish I could have. And all of those things after the fact are so sad. You have an opportunity maybe today. God wants us to have a healthy, happy family. And every one of us have a responsibility in that.